0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the brand new LMU podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Cass, here on the Believe Podcast Network, and I am so happy to have you guys join me for the very first episode of what's going to be a great and fun journey through LMU basketball this season. We're going to have a show for you every single week, bring you great guests. Great topics with the LMU Lions team. And I said, We're so excited to have you here on the Believe Podcast Network, which is LA's number one sports podcast network and the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our LA teams. Do you believe? (laughs) going on our very first episode of the LMU Basketball Podcast. We've got such a great show for you here today. I've got a very special guest coming up in a few moments, and J.D. Dubois, he played at LMU back in his time from 2007 to 2011, spent a graduate year at Utah as well, but he was a great Lion, and we're very happy to have him on the show uh, here this week. He's done great things in his time at LMU, and he's done great things since. He's currently an assistant with the Detroit Pistons and their player development staff, so... He's doing a lot of wonderful things, and we're going to catch up with him talking about the recent LMU game that he was at, the LMU game against St. Mary's, and also just his time at LMU and also his development into becoming a coach now at the NBA level. So it's a really interesting conversation. Going to get that to you in just a few moments. But while, before we do, we want to set you up and, and tell you a little bit about the program this year, because if you're joining us, obviously you're an LMU fan, whether you're a brand new one or you've been with the program for quite a while. We want to touch on everything involving the program. So, of course, it's been a fun year for the Lions. They're 13 and 4 on the year, coming off a program best start of 11 and 1 prior to that. Uh, it's been really fun. They were 11 and 20 last year, already surpassing their win total this season, and it's been a lot of the same guys from last year's team. And you can definitely credit Mike Dunlap. He's known as a developmental head coach. He's done a fantastic job with with this group, and uh, it's been great. They've been led by James Bateman, the senior. He was a junior transfer last year. He's continued his leadership role and been a really special player for the Lions. He's up for multiple award and award watch lists, and we hope that he can continue his senior season. He suffered a little bit of an injury against St. Mary's, so hopefully that doesn't linger on and affect him too much in the conference play. But if you're just kind of getting into the LMU basketball now, I mentioned they're 13-4 and four on the year, started 11-1. They're 1-2 in West Coast Conference play. So not as great a start as they would like in conference play. But you know this conference, the West Coast Conference, is really uh, daunting this year. It's a beast. Every team is competitive. There are no easy games. And that's been evident in the early start of the season thus far. They, they dropped a tough one at Pepperdine, which has been a house of horrors for them. They came back and responded with a win at Portland. And then lost to, which is always a, a very historically good and continues to be very good, St. Mary's Ball Club. Lions fell behind by 25 in that ball game. They did cut it down to 8 make a valiant comeback effort but they ended up losing 71 to 60 in that game which brought their record as we mentioned 13 and 4 and, and looking forward there's you know the, the schedule doesn't get easier they have Gonzaga on the road which is the place they haven't won since 1991 and they're not the only West Coast Conference team to suffer that face that fate Gonzaga is number 5 in the country right now so that'll be a tough task and then they get Pepperdine again back at home just 2 days after the Gonzaga game so a quick turnaround and a quick resurfacing of Pepperdine, a team they lost to by 15. So a couple of tough games coming up. I'll see if the Lions can respond well from a couple of tough losses to start out conference play. But all in all, great start to the season. Lions are in position for their first winning season under Mike Dunlap. They were 15-15 and 15 a few years ago, but first over 500 season, uh, and he's in his fifth year. He's done a great job remolding the program after taking over from Max Good, who did a great job as well. But Mike Dunlap getting to... Get his recruits and get his type of team and imprint on the roster and it's really evident with just a lot a lot of fun players james bateman as we mentioned the 7-3 matias markson is having a fantastic year sophomore eli scott who played with the ball brothers at chino hills he's kind of bounced back he had mono at the start of the year missed the first seven games but he's back into form Uh, also jeffrey mclennett so many players joe quintana that have done so well with this lions team and if you haven't seen them play a lot It's kind of polar opposite to what made them successful in the late 80s and early 90s when they had that run and gun style. This team will selectively run, but they are a defensive, grinded out ball club. They'll often milk down the shot clock and really move the ball to get a great shot. So they're more of a rugged, gritty defensive team, and that has been successful for them. So we hope that that carries over into conference play. But right now we're going to get you our conversation with J.D. Dubois. We talk a little bit, as I mentioned, about the game versus St. Mary's, but also everything involving his lifespan with LMU basketball. So enjoy our conversation with J.D. Dubois. Our very first guest on the LMU podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, my good friend J.D. Dubois, former LMU basketball player. You can see his name up and down the LMU record books, and we're very happy to have him here joining us on our very first episode. J.D., thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and JD, we know each other from from your time at LMU. We were students at the same time. I was kind of working, you know, with alongside the team doing some radio stuff, and you, of course, were having your time playing. Uh, what does it feel like just to be back, even if ever so briefly, here in LA, uh, here at Gersten Pavilion, and having a chance to, to be around the program again? Yeah, you
0: know, it feels good to, to come back and be in a environment that really shaped me. I feel as a young man, uh, growing up in LA, I didn't really know much about the LMU campus, um, but as a freshman, being able to come here and really immerse myself in the LMU community—it's been good. It's been good to see a lot of the people who I interacted with as a student that are still here and around. It's been good. It's been good.
1: And of course, you, as you mentioned, you had a great career at LMU. You kind of got off right off the bat—the the freshman record in points, 37 points. Uh, what was that like in your first season, where you had just that kind of explosion to be like, "Hey, I belong on this level."
0: Yeah. You know. It, it, I knew that I could do it at this level. Uh, I know coming out of high school, being at Westchester, a pretty prominent high school in the city, uh, I wasn't the most highly touted player coming out of high school. But uh, with the right system and the right coaching staff, that I would really blossom at the college level, especially being around uh, a lot more talent. Uh, And then Coach Baino, who was uh, my first coach who recruited me here. And then Max Good, they just... Instilled a lot of confidence in us as a young core group, me, Kevin Young, and Le'Ron, uh, who were those freshmen that first year. Uh, and it was fun. It was fun. They let us play. They they gave us the confidence to, to play when it was a tight game. Uh, regardless of the situation, he really trusted us on the floor, and I think that's why I was able to blossom so fast at the college level.
1: Yeah, and you you had an interesting point just now that you didn't really know a lot about the LMU program, even though you were right down the street in Westchester. We know that, obviously, the LMU program has some history, but, you know, it's had trouble sustaining success. Uh, What do you think it is about LMU that it's kind of like a a well-kept secret that takes players or people time to learn about it?
0: For me personally, I grew up and spent most of my childhood in Inglewood. Yeah. Uh, So I really only went to the Westchester area when I was going to school. Uh, otherwise I was never really on this side of Sepulveda uh, in my childhood so that was a big part of it I think um, but yeah I can't really speak to uh, as I got older they started to have more camps here so mm-hmm. I think it was a, the Adidas camp uh, was a, a camp that started to really become a host here on campus yeah and that was how a lot of guys under me started to hear about hear about the program and when you recruit in the city, that's when you get the guys that are younger. They're able to say, "Oh, okay, I know the guy who went to Mommy's Polly goes here," or the, that kid with the Fairfax. Um, so as you recruit in the city, I think that's where you'll build um, build the notoriety, yeah, exactly,
1: with local kids. Yeah, and obviously you got your chance to see really your first look at this year's edition of the ball club. Uh, they're thirteen and four as we record this right now. They just had a loss to St. Mary's. Uh, This was a game where they didn't play particularly well early on. They fell behind big time by 25, but they came back to within eight. What were your impressions of the team just from from what you saw tonight and and where you think they can go going forward?
0: First thing that comes to mind is Scrappy. Yeah. They play hard. Uh, You could tell they're very dialed in to their defensive principles. Uh, And then they play unselfishly. Whoever's scoring the other four guys, you could tell are excited that their teammate is doing well. And I think that's important. I think that's a big part of culture on any level is team camaraderie. And I don't care if you get 20 tonight and I get four points as long as our team is succeeding. Uh, And that seems to be a part of the core principles just from watching this game tonight.
1: Yeah, and of course we know they're playing a team that has really had those core principles for forever. For Randy Bennett's been there 18 years. Uh, We saw again tonight the kind of style they play is what they've always done. I saw you talking with uh, with Matthew Della Vadova who was here. You guys obviously had some battles, but what do you remember from your time playing against St. Mary's and some of the other top teams in this conference and just how tough it can be?
0: Yeah, well, St. Mary's was always a team that was really good at pick and roll. Like, between Delhi, Patty Mills, uh, which were the main two guards while I was playing here, they both, in college and now, very high basketball IQ, the ability to score at all three levels at the rim, mid-range, and from three. Uh, and the build, the ability to make the right read always made them difficult because they spaced the floor with shooters. Uh, but we had a lot of good battles. We got some good wins against them both at home and up at St Mary's. Um, always a fun team to play against because you knew it'd be high pace.
1: I say you might have been one of the last ball clubs to beat them at St Mary's. Of course, you had a really good win up there as you mentioned you had you know Giovanni had the dunk that a lot of people would remember from that mm-hmm. game but yeah, a lot of big wins in your time here, you know, a couple, really the last great seasons that we've seen from this team as far as record-wise. You're on a team that won 20 games, a team that went to the postseason and played in the CIT. What do you remember from those times and just how, some of those successes that you had here at LMU?
0: Honestly, I really remember the year when we won four games, I think <laughs> that freshman year. Yeah. Just as much as I remember the time where we turned it around uh, because a lot of people didn't Know that two years prior to that twenty-year, twenty-game season, we won like four, or six games. Yeah. Um, and that experience as a freshman losing all those games really helped us appreciate. Okay, we're doing this for a reason. We're not just losing games. We're building good habits, even though it might not show up on the stat sheet in the win-loss column. It uh, just to watch our dedication as a unit pay off year or two years down the line. For me, it was really really gratifying as a player uh, and it was just fun just fun to grow with guys who you lost 20 games with yeah to now flip it around and win 20 plus games with so that experience was second to none
1: and do you see any similarity with that in, in this year's current team because they obviously last year as you mentioned 20 they were 11 and 20 so they had mm-hmm. a tough season but they kind of built at the end of the year started winning games late and then obviously this year already surpassing that win total and playing much better. Uh, Do you see any similarities between this year's ball club and some of the stuff that you went through?
0: The one thing that you you always can look at is progression. So like you're saying, they've already, I think it's three games in the conference and they've surpassed their wins from last season. Uh, Just hoping that they can continue to just be consistent with their disciplines and not get too high or too low. Not too high if you win three in a row, not too low if you lose two or three in a row and just stay even killed the rest of the way and just really try to be as consistent as possible
1: yeah no question and uh thinking back to some of your time as i said we were there at the same time i wasn't at this one personally i was i was across the campus in the radio station but you hit a game winner against notre dame on the road is that something that stands out to you or that you can remember vividly hitting that game winner in that environment
0: It does. A lot lot of times in big games, and sometimes any game, I'm a big visualization guy. I'll take five, ten minutes night before, day of the game, and just kind of see what plays that I feel that I would want to make, watch kind of how they'll unfold. and That's something that I wouldn't say I saw the night before the game, but I always envision myself, okay, if the game is on the line, you got to be comfortable and confident to step in and take a shot regardless of circumstance, situation. Uh, so it was a really good feeling, one, to make the shot, but two, to, as a team, go on to South Bend, which is, I don't know how many WC schools have won
1: in that <laughs> building in the last 25 years, but I would say it's slim to none. Yeah, I want uh, to check the stats, but I think you guys are, as you said, might be the only one.
0: Yeah, so to come in there as a collective and get that win on the road was big, and to cop, uh, top it off with a, a game winner was was very special for me, for sure.
1: Yeah, and that team, we kind of kind of alluded to it in just some of the games we've talked about, but St. Mary's on the road, Notre Dame on the road. Your team kind of developed an identity as a, a mentally tough road warrior kind of team. Mm-hmm. What did that take to be able to win in those tough environments?
0: Honestly, talent Yeah. across the board. <laughs> Always helps, right? Drew Viney, Ashley Hamilton, Anthony Ireland, uh, Vernon Till, Larry Davis, Le'Ron, Kevin Young, I mean, I probably could, the list can go on yeah. as far as talent and work ethic, grit, clutch, all of these words that you could describe each of those players I mentioned plus ones that I haven't mentioned. Um, and we have been through it. We lost a lot of games together.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and we really prided ourselves on um, each year we're going to get better. Each year we're going to get a little better. Each game we're going to get a little better. Uh, and that really helped us year two, year three, as a collective, building our confidence that we can win against anybody. We had the mindset that it doesn't matter, small school, whatever, we're not supposed to be that good. We had a little bit of arrogant confidence that we could win anywhere.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that really helped us. Do you have, did you ever have any doubts uh, early on in your career? As you mentioned, you were rec- recruited by by one guy, Bill Bano, who ended up having to leave the program almost immediately in the first season that he was there and then playing for one of his assistants, but obviously a coach that you weren't, you know, you didn't go there to play for him exactly, for Max Good. Did you have any doubts in that first year when you were struggling playing for a different coach that this wasn't the place you wanted to be or or what was your thought process going into that, that first year?
0: That first year, luckily for me throughout my career and life in general, the circle around me has been very strong. From my AAU coach to my dad to family, so I really wasn't rattled by coaching change or because at the end of the day it was just basketball. Yeah, there was way more things happening in my actual life to be worried about that a coaching change or some little a guy not passing the ball for me was <laughs> such a small issue that that was my safe place. So. Regardless of what was going on, basketball was a place that okay, I can come here and all this this is fun. Work hard, pay attention to detail, study your opponent, you'll play well. Uh, So I I I got a lot of confidence from the people who were around me, and they always helped me anytime I was slide or move out of out of line.
1: Uh, They
0: were very very helpful
1: for me early on. Yeah, no question and. And you, of course, did end up playing for Max Good for for four seasons or four seasons and change, obviously, with some of the injuries that you ended up suffering. But what was it like to play for him after you initially said weren't expecting to? And and is, what was his style like compared to like how you dealt with it, and and how did you guys mesh?
0: Yeah, well, Coach Good was a very uh, prominent coach when Coach Bannon was there. He still had a voice, uh, so yeah. we knew his his coaching style once he took over, and it really fit very detailed very hard-nosed, a winner, first and foremost, Um, and and that was the personality of the players as well, so it wasn't a difficult transition. Coach Baylor was a little more lively, yeah, uh, but Coach Good was was just as intense and cared just as much about winning and doing things the right way and uh, expecting excellence out of us, even when we weren't winning many games. Uh, So it was a... Pretty easy transition for us. Obviously, it's different when a guy goes out and says, hey, I want you to come to my school and play for me, uh, as Bano did for us when yeah. we came in. Uh, so that's a little different, having someone who you know wants you there, but Coach Good was, was a good coach, I felt.
1: Yeah, and obviously we'll get into how you're into the coaching world now and, and how tough a line that can be, but as you mentioned, Coach Good was a very intense coach, but he also seemed to have that softer side where he's able to relate to the players. How do you find that balance as a coach, where, as you said, you can be super intense and tough in practices and in games, but also know when to pull back and basically give the guys the the break and find that relationship?
0: Coach Gill was one of the coaches along many that I had who, he knew a lot about basketball, but it wasn't as much as how much he knew as it was how much he cared about us. Just Just as intense as he was in practice, we go have dinner at his house with his wife, making us cookies and always cooking for us during the season. Uh, so it was a good balance I felt of tough love, but also pat you on the back, and he knew when to push certain buttons. Uh, and I think he had a good feel for okay, today I can really get on. Yeah. And then a couple of days later, he back off a little bit. Uh, so I think that was a testament to his experience as a Assistant and a head coach as well.
1: Yeah, and, and we'll use that to transition into to what you have going on right now. We'll, of course, come back to some of the, the LMU stuff as well. But you're in the coaching world, as I mentioned, now. Uh, you spent a couple of years in Toronto working in their, their player development area, and now you're in Detroit with, uh, with Court Dwayne Casey, who you're with in Toronto. So, first of all, just tell us how you got involved in coaching and, and why you chose to go that route. We know you played a couple of years internationally, but why you felt the need to or made the decision to go into coaching at, at this juncture in your life.
0: Yeah, so as you mentioned, played a couple of years in Europe, pretty high level, but yeah. enjoyed it, was playing well. And it's funny enough, just a random Friday morning, I'm probably getting ready to sign a deal in the next week or so to go back to Europe. I just woke up and I felt, you know what, this is it. Yeah. Like, I don't want to, there was no real reason, I just felt my intuition told me that it's probably about time to, to stop playing. Not that I couldn't play. But I felt I didn't want to outplay long-term opportunities.
1: Yeah, um, and that's obviously also a big grind being away from far away from home in other countries, and yeah. you know that international basketball style is uh, is very harsh.
0: Mm-hmm. And there were a few players who I I knew I wanted to get into player development. Even as a player, I would always be the guy who, you know, a couple of my friends, we all play. I would create the workouts in the summer. We just work out. We wouldn't always have a trainer or somebody with us, I would just put us through stuff. So I was kind of practicing it as a player. Uh, But once I decided to um, stop playing, I had a couple players, DeLon Wright, Trey Holder out of Arizona State, Kyle Kuzma was at Utah still, that I felt that I could help and that I would like to work with. Um, So that really helped me make a decision. Like, okay, I'm going to focus on these couple players and try to give them everything I can uh, to help their development. Um, and so for a year I did player development with kids all the way from eight years old to NBA players uh, and then during the summer I had a couple Raptors players I was working with uh, and Coach Casey just came by the gym and over a short period of time we built a, a really good relationship. Uh, Coach Pat, who was with Toronto as well, who was working with some of those guys, invited me to the gym uh, and allowed me to kind of watch. Yeah, uh, And that kind of snowballed into what became a coaching position.
1: That's, that's amazing. And uh, how has life been as a coach? We know, like, obviously you've had the time as a player mm-hmm. and going from that and transitioning to coaching. They're obviously different in the approach and the physical toll, mm-hmm. but this is a whole different grind where, we know the, the life of a coach can also be very tough. So how have you adapted to that and, and the NBA schedule that you've been working on for, for quite a while now?
0: It's been good. It gives me a really a good perspective because of how many hours you have to spend as a coach uh, that I don't think players realize. Yeah. But as a player, you leave practice, okay, you might watch a couple games at home. You might, But as a coach, you leave practice, you're watching practice. You're watching multiple games of teams you are about to play and aren't playing just to learn and scout. Uh, and it just, for for my role in player development, I enjoy being able to feel what I see them going through. So I could feel when a guy misses a couple of shots. I know that feeling where yeah. you, I see this guy work on this shot every day, but he's 0 for 5 shooting that shot. The thing, I know pretty close to what's going on in his head so I try to use that field to help guys get through things during the game specifically. Uh, and also practice and whatever scenarios come up that I feel that I can kind of see what they're going through. I try to use my experience as a player uh, to help me as a coach.
1: Yeah, and, and what are some of the specific things that you work on with the, with the guys that you work on in player development? You mentioned, obviously, you, were, you played a year at Utah after graduating yeah. here from LMU. Mention your time with Kyle Kuzma. A lot of the guys you work with the Raptors, we were talking beforehand, are are really flourishing this year as well. So what are some of the specific uh, drills or activities that you do that you help uh, some of your players on?
0: So the player development program in Toronto was really geared around our young guys. So Fred Van Vliet, uh, Pascal, OG, Jakob, uh, DeLon Wright, Norman Powell. That core group of young guys was really our focus of getting them prepared to play big minutes. Uh, So as a group, as a player development staff, from Coach Casey's leadership, it was, we're gonna gonna need these guys come playoff time. Uh, We can't ride Kyle and DeMar every possession. We're gonna need a collective. Uh, So we just follow kind of Coach Casey's plan of developing the total player, being able to pass. Shooting was a big thing for DeLon and Fred, uh, both for M. Pascal. OG, all of those guys, if you look at their shooting and production numbers, have drastically grown over the last two years. Uh, the same in Detroit. Uh, we're bringing that same player development plan that Coach Casey emphasized in um, Toronto to Detroit. Rookies, Bruce Brown, Kyrie Thomas, uh, Luke Canard a young player, Stanley Johnson, Henry Ellison. Uh, we've got a lot of young guys that we're trying to I wouldn't say mold like the Toronto group, but we want to see the progression get to that lo- that elite level
1: where... Kind of we'll unlock a- the potential in these guys. No question. Yeah. No
0: question. Uh, so that's that's the vision that we have, that we're bringing to Detroit.
1: Yeah, And obviously you're in Detroit now, after a couple of years in Toronto. Uh, what was that like? That's obviously a tough situation, and A lot of people wouldn't know just the the personal level of it, where Dwayne Casey, incredible job in Toronto, uh, obviously gets fired uh, after losing in the playoffs last year in the second round of Cleveland. You are part of that staff. You know him personally. You know, a lot of fans look at it from the outside and, you know, they don't have a a personal connection to it. But what was that like for you? And just obviously knowing that you did such a good good job coaching, you won coach of the year, Mm -hmm. that... He gets another job and then you're you're right back with a new team just a couple months later. What was that roller coaster ride like and, and just your thoughts while when that was happening?
0: Yeah. And Toronto, the good thing about Toronto is that fan base and the ownership group was so elite. <clears throat> every night when you go into Air Canada Center, every fan is coming there to Cheer and excited to be there some arenas people are there, but they're just kind of there. Yeah, casually to watch Uh, Very good ownership group uh, in Toronto It was just a good opportunity really to take a team for coach Casey to take a team from where they were to get them to The top of the East coach of the year coach the all-star game You don't really get those opportunities in everyday life. So the opportunity to be there. Thankful for that. And then to be able to come to Detroit and say, okay, new challenge. We're in Toronto, we built something special. We got them to a very high point. um, And now we're trying to take that same mindset of uh, development of not only our young players, but of the entire organization uh, and take this organization uh, to the top as well. Um, So it's exciting. It's exciting to have a new challenge, a new environment. And this it's going to be fun. Think it'll be fun.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, it has to be a different feeling. And, in, in, you know, it kind of comes full circle, as you said, because Toronto had to build this thing up somewhat from the bottom. Yeah. And you built this core and worked that way all the way up to the top of the east. Yeah. And now you're back at that kind of, not exactly the start, but in a refreshing phase with Detroit. Yeah. Uh, does, it, does it feel the same at all, or does it feel different? How, do, how does it feel from one situation to the next?
0: Uh, most definitely it's different because this is now my second team. Toronto was first team and with a couple guys that I've known since I was a kid. Yeah. Being able to coach and work with on a day-to-day basis was a different experience When a couple of the players you've known since you were 12, 13 years old. Um, but now in Detroit, uh, the good thing about uh, what we have now is you got Blake, Andre, and Reggie who is our main core, but they're not young guys. They are established NBA players, and I think they're ready to win right away. I don't think. I know yeah. they're ready uh, to win right away, as opposed to in Toronto when Coach Casey started. More of rebuild and trying to just win a couple more games each year. Uh, but that's, I think, the biggest difference is Detroit is ready to win right away.
1: Yeah, no, definitely makes sense. And uh, we we'll reverse back to your time at LMU a little bit here as we're here, thanks for joining us again here on the the Believe Podcast Network, Jesse Cass here with JD Dubois as we're taking you through our first episode. And and JD, um, and so we obviously met each other through your or both of our time at LMU at the same time, students here. Uh, not only were you in basketball, but you also uh, you know dipped your toe in the media fountain a little bit. You yeah. had a you had a video show on campus uh, <laughs> as, as you cringe thinking about that. But but what, what was that like having a you know just kind of taking in multiple facets of the university along with playing being a student and also working uh, doing some media stuff
0: the one thing i would encourage current student athletes to do is be comfortable being uncomfortable <clears throat> so i didn't know anything about doing interviews or anything in media but it was something i had a little bit of interest in so i just immersed myself in a situation that i didn't really know what i was doing just yeah. to figure out what i would want to do later on in life and I think we have to encourage athletes to do that more. Not to just allow them to play their sport, get a certain GPA, take summer school. Yeah. Thank you for getting your degree. I'll see you when probably never. Yeah. But let's encourage them to, one, think outside the box, but also act outside the box. Go out and do different things that you may not really know what you're doing, but at least you're growing. Uh, and one thing it taught me is that I don't want to be a... <laughs> um, sports broadcaster or I don't want to host interviews but I learned by trying it and yeah. seeing okay this isn't what I thought it would be as opposed to waiting and down the line and then not knowing kind
1: of having regrets about it if you didn't try it at least exactly. now you did it and you know Exactly.
0: but it was fun it was a good experience I watched some of the videos some people pull them up sometimes <laughs> and make me watch um, but it's funny just to see okay I was a young kid just trying to figure out what did I want to do once I finished college and finished
1: playing. Yeah, no, I, I got to thank you for that show because when you couldn't do it, I would fill in and do <laughs> it. And I said, I'll look back on that stuff. And, yeah, I cringed too. That was <laughs> – hey, so you got to start somewhere. Gotta so got to start somewhere. Yeah, it was, uh, it was rough for me too. So, I mean, yeah, fat. no worries about that. Uh, but otherwise, at your, your time at LMU, as you said, we you played here. Uh, looking through the record books, you are one of the 1,000-point scorers here. You uh, mentioned the freshman record just uh, up and down the record book. Is that something you ever think back to and just how much success you had here and and building from, as you mentioned, kind of a a slow starting team to to a lot of wins?
0: Honestly, I think it's something I need to do more of is not looking at, okay, what's next, what's next, but take a moment and look at, okay, look how far you've come from where you've grown up and the situations you've overcome. Uh, So I need to spend a little more time, I think we all do, a little more time on our successes that we've had already in a little less time on oh, okay what's next what do I want to go and do what's the next obstacle to accomplish uh, but as you mentioned that it is crazy to look back and say dang this skinny little kid from Westchester high school uh, can go to a college right 15 minutes from where he grows up and make an impact uh, when a lot of people even some of my high school coaches didn't think I was a division one player definitely didn't think I was a Three, four-year starter. Didn't think I was. The list goes on. Uh, so be able to prove myself right and to prove other people wrong, all in the same. Uh, and then to graduate with a degree from here and in the record books is kind of the best of both both worlds for me, for sure.
1: Yeah, and it obviously set the stage for for where you are now, working yeah. in the NBA. Yeah, no question, no question. And before we start to close things up, we obviously mentioned you played at Utah. So what was your thought process after getting your degree from LMU? You had that graduate year. What about Utah made it uh, an attractive place for you to go? And what was that year like in, you know, just a different state, different school, uh, to go through that and play one final year in college basketball?
0: The biggest thing, like you said, is get my degree from here. Yeah. That was the most important thing for me is I need to have my degree from this university before I think of any basketball decision. So once I knew I was going to be getting my degree, I just felt – Like you mentioned before, the head coach didn't didn't recruit me. Uh, I wasn't a guy who he necessarily, uh, I wouldn't say didn't want, but I wasn't one of his r- recruiting classes. Yeah. Uh, and I had one more year. Uh, I wanted to be in a little different environment than what I was comfortable with. I knew that, okay, for my last year, uh, change might be best. Uh, Utah was in the Pac-12. They had just... Came to the Pac-12 with Colorado, I believe, the year before.
1: Yeah, from the from the Mountain West. Yeah. Yep,
0: Coach I played a, a, a style of offense that I really really liked, uh, was a teacher. Uh, they had a really good coaching staff, a really good fan base. Uh, so it just really seemed like the, the best of both worlds for me to go and play in the Pac-12 <clears throat> with the team that needed me. I didn't want to go anywhere where I'm just another guy on the roster. I wanted to be able to have an impact which I felt I did in that one year at Utah.
1: Yeah, and what was it like for you? Obviously, you're working with a lot of NBA guys now, and you grew up with guys who have who've made it to the league. But just to, to have played in your college career with or against guys that have made it to the NBA, what's that like to, to see them at that level when you're obviously involved in the game as a coach now, but just to, to know the guys that you've gone up against, you've beaten at times, you've lost to whatever it may be, uh, to see them you know, on the NBA level? It's always good
0: to see guys you play with or against succeed. <clears throat> I think one thing about growing up in L.A. that is good and bad is there's so many pros that come from L.A. Mm-hmm. As a player, you get this false sense of normalcy when it comes to NBA players. Because I look at a team I played on, I got four guys that make it to the NBA. And we don't realize that's not normal.
1: Yeah, there's only uh, 400 or so spots in the, the so whole many world. There's only
0: yeah. uh, And a lot of guys, I think... <clears throat> they don't appreciate their own careers in L.A. because they think that the bar is the NBA. Uh, so for me, it's always good to see people you play with uh, and play against get to the NBA. But fortunately, or unfortunately, when you're in L.A., it's kind of expected. Yeah. Like, if you're good, it's, okay, he's going to go to the
1: league at some just point. Just the Hollywood Yeah. part uh, of
0: it. and just the talent pool that we have here. But as you alluded to, it, it's really... Gratifying to know, okay, I competed against a guy, and I won a lot of battles against guys who are now making a good amount of money. It kind of gives you a sense of, okay, well, I did all right in my in my playing days.
1: Yeah, no, no so question sorry. about that. A uh, couple of quick LMU questions uh, that I want to ask you about. Um, this current LMU team was like many others, where they they lost at Pepperdine uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Is there anything about that building that specifically is tough to play? I know you were actually on the team that won up there in 2011, but that's been the one win in the last 21 years mm. in that building, which is kind of wild when you think that the teams have been pretty even, at least on the road. What's, what's so tough about that? No, no, it's a rivalry game, but um, in, in your perspective and your time here, was that a tough game or, or what's your thought process on that?
0: I think more than the arena is the mental pressure that players probably put on themselves to win the game. Yeah. As opposed to, okay, let me execute the game plan. Let me take and make good shots. Let me not turn the ball over. Yeah. If those are the focuses. I think the games become easier. But when the focus, any game, especially a, a high-stress, uh, high-intense environment, when your focus is just on the win, you're forgetting about the things that are going to get you to that win. <clears throat> so I think that that, that makes it difficult. Yeah. It's just the flat-out pressure that the whole school is probably talking about this game all week. You know that if you win it, when you come back to Math 103 or whatever <laughs> your first class is, you're either going to get that look like, man, good win, or you're going to probably have your hood on in the back because <laughs> everyone knows that you guys lost. So I, I think the pressure of it, um, but again... We had a group of guys that environment really didn't
1: phase the guys. At, say, you that you had, we kind of mentioned it, it, but the Notre Dame thing the year before, you had USC went on the road, UCLA went on the road, yeah. uh, St. Mary's, BYU, <laughs> yeah,
0: Gonzaga at home. We just had a, a different type of group, and I think with experience, this core group, this young group, hopefully they can build on what they have now and get there.
1: Yeah, they definitely seem like they're on the right track. Obviously, thirteen and four as we're reporting this right now, having a great year. Uh, JD, I know that you're also you run a, a sports academy and do a lot of charitable work as well. So I want to highlight that before we let you go. But yeah. uh, just tell the people some of the stuff that you've been working on in that regard.
0: Yeah. So everyone has a story. As a nonprofit, I started, got the idea kind of in college of just talking with uh, different people while I was in class with about how <coughs> we all were students at Loyola Marymount, but. We all have a story of how we got here. And in life, I think it's the same way. You don't know what somebody's story was prior to when you met them. and We're just trying to highlight different groups of people who their stories aren't really being told. Um, we do a lot with the homeless groups. We've done a lot in Utah. Uh, and now we're, we're doing some mental wellness work. Um, youth mental wellness, I think, is, is something that is important not only because kids are struggling, but the coaches around these kids have to create an environment that when they are struggling, they feel comfortable getting help. So it's one thing to be aware that, okay, these young kids are dealing with a lot. It's another thing to be aware of it and to create a support system for those kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, And myself, Dr. Yeager, We put on a panel in Utah, we had a lot of coaches, some kids and parents just coming out trying to educate them on signs of depression or uh, struggles that kids may be having. And then, okay, how do we facilitate the environment uh, for these young kids? So we're working on a variety of different things, but those are kind of the two uh, main issues that we've been attacking as of late.
1: Yeah, very, very important issues and uh doing great work there awesome job and really appreciate you coming on on the first episode know that you have a very busy schedule but thanks for coming on and joining on the show and uh yeah good luck in the rest of your year with the pistons and we'll certainly uh catch up down the line always good to see you and a great big thanks to jd dubois once again what a great guest to have on our first show awesome guy and able to fit us into his tight schedule working in the that nba grind right now so really appreciate him coming on the show again, and we really appreciate you listening to the first episode here, just getting started on the Believe Podcast Network, as we said, and if you're enjoying the show, as we said, we're going to do this every single week, so we'd love it if you subscribe uh, and rate and review, five stars would help us out a lot as we get this thing rolling, we're available on anywhere you get your podcast: iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. You can also find us at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com and at Believe Podcasts on Twitter. As I said, please rate the show and also follow me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Cass. Going to bring be bringing you LMU updates all year long. Great guests, LMU Insight. It's going to be happening right here on the Believe Podcast Network. So please continue to join us and subscribe and follow along. As a, Next week, we're going to be talking about The upcoming slate of games you mentioned, Gonzaga and Pepperdine are up next for the Lions. We'll be breaking down those contests and also looking ahead to what's coming up on the West Coast Conference slate, as well as another great guest right here on the Believe Podcast Network. And while you're taking a look at Believe.com, take a look at some of the other shows as well. There's so many great podcasts on this network. We mentioned all over LA. We have you covered. Got a NBA Lakers Clippers show with Ryan Hollins, an NBA Dreamers show hosted by Brian Johnson, also, the Los Angeles Rams, of course, are on their way trying to get to the Super Bowl. You can follow that with Matt Baker, who has his Rams podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. So take a look and follow some of those shows as well. But right now, we're going to wrap it up on our very first episode of the LMU Basketball Podcast. We're so happy you're about to join us. This is Jesse Cass signing off. Until next time, go Lions.